0: I want to share, before I really jump into to what I'm going to be sharing and talking about today, before I jump into that, I want to share a little holiday jingle for all of you, okay? And we'll see if you find this familiar or not. So go ahead and play that. And if I die before I wait, I pray to Lord my soul today. But please don't cry, just know that I... pretty excited about hearing some Kid Cudi in church or what? I mean, just a great moment here. Now, sadly enough, back in my younger years, I'm going to be vulnerable here and tell you that I I could not get enough of Kid Cudi. In fact, I just loved rap music in general. It was like the only genre of music that I listened to. It was like Kid Cudi. I, I loved Kanye's early stuff before he kind of became a weirdo. Some Wu-Tang Clan, some Jurassic Five. I don't know why I'm telling all of you this. It's just destroying my credibility at this point. I actually, when I was in high school in particular, I remember thinking, I am always going to like rap music. And and it's not that I like dislike rap music. I just don't really listen to music in general anymore. The only thing I really listen to are podcasts. I've just kind of become this this grumpy old man. (laughs) Uh, But I remember in particular, uh, there's this uh, one time in the summer, I think it was between, if memory recalls, I think it was between my sophomore and junior year. uh, I was over hanging out at a friend's house. There were like five five or six of us in the backyard. It was a warm summer night, uh, looking up at the stars, and and we were having a bonfire. And my buddy's uh, dad kept kind of popping in and out of the house. He'd come out, talk to us for a little bit, and then he'd go back inside. And uh, at one point, he stepped outside and he said, hey, do you guys uh, want me to turn on some music for you? And we were like, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's okay. He had like this nice outdoor sound system. So he goes inside and we just kind of assumed that he was going to put on some old man music. Like we were going to get some Almond Brothers, you know, Holland Notes, like, like maybe at best some Chicago. And so much to our surprise, just moments later when the music turned on, he was playing some Snoop Dogg. double G. I mean, some Snoop Dogg starts bumping through the speakers and he comes out with this big old grin on his face. And we just kind of thought, okay, like the joke's up. He's going to go back inside and turn it off. No, he left it on. And, and, I don't know, I still don't know to this day, like if if he was trying to show off or he was just truly in the moment, but he sat down in this lawn chair and it wasn't like this is the first time that he had heard this album. He knew every word to every song. I mean, he's sitting there not even talking to us. He's like, so much drama in the LBC. It's kind of hobby and Snoop D-O-double G, but somehow, some way, we'll stop there. All right, and and he's just going and like flowing through this whole song. And I remember in that moment, it's incredible, the mind of a high schooler. I remember thinking, this is the coolest dad ever. (laughs) I did. And then I, (laughs) this is a real thought. It's going to sound like I'm making this up for the sake of the talk. I remember in that moment, thinking to myself, daydreaming, thinking about, I cannot wait till the day that I have middle school and high school children. And I too, am going to listen to rap. And I am going to know every word and I am going to impress my kids' friends. (laughs) Again, high schoolers, something wrong with our brains. Now, you may uh, have never heard that song before. Chances are a lot of you have probably never heard that song before. But as you sat there and you maybe listened to it for a second, you might be going, okay, I, I don't know this song. But maybe the lyrics of that song sounded vaguely familiar. And it's because the lyrics there, that chorus, the hook of that song, uh, is actually this really popular prayer that has been passed down from generation to generation. In fact, you might have been taught this prayer as a child. Go ahead and put that prayer up there. Now, I want us to all say this together now. Are we ready? Okay, we're going we're to teach you a prayer today. Now I lay me down down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Very good. We sound like a cult. So way to go on that. All right. I won't ever make you do that again. Um, Now, those of you that were taught this prayer uh, as a child, and maybe some of you, you know, you're still teaching this prayer to your children. If you are, Go ahead and stop that. It's weird. I don't know why we would teach like these religious chants to our children. But for those of you that that were taught this prayer as a child, you probably have to be over like the age of, you know, 35. Hopefully you got to a certain point where you started saying this out loud to yourself and you thought, huh. I mean, because isn't this kind of a strange thing to teach to a child? I mean, the first part starts off innocent enough. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But here's where it takes a left turn. If I should die before I wake... What kind of a message is that to communicate to a little kid? It's like, all right, have a good night's rest. Hey, don't die as you sleep tonight. It's like, if I should die before I wake, like, mom, like, should I be made aware of something? We letting a murderer sleep over tonight? Like, if I should die before I wake. Now, again, whether whether you've heard that song or not, that innocent little prayer reveals something about people. I, I think it's something that's actually ingrained in every single person that has ever walked the face of the earth. And we'll come back to that thought here uh, in just a minute. As mentioned, uh, we are wrapping up and actually coming into part three of three this morning of this series called Fear Not. And if you've missed either one of the first two weeks of the series, maybe this is your first time with us, we're so thankful you decided to walk through our doors today. Honestly, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I cannot encourage you enough to go to grumlaw.com slash messages and get yourself caught up there. Or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grow. Grab your podcast. We mention this every single week because every week kind of builds off of the last. And so, again, if you're showing up here and you'd like to kind of step into the series, we'll always give you a quick recap. But the best thing to do is on those weeks that for some reason you're not able to be here, you're going online and catching yourself up there. Now, in this series, what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, the Christmas story that involves Jesus being born in a manger, and we're taking a look at that from three different perspectives. And so in the first week, we took a look at it from Mary's perspective, Mary being Jesus's earthly mother. Last week, we looked at it through the eyes of Joseph, Joseph being Jesus's earthly father. And this week, as we move on, we're gonna be taking a look at it through the eyes of the shepherds. Now, in all three of these scenarios, first with Mary, Then Joseph, and today as we'll see with the shepherds, an angel appears before them. And apparently if an angel comes in front of you, it is a terrifying event. And so what does the angel say in all three of these scenarios? Come on, help me out. Do not be afraid, fear not, and hence the name of this series, depending on the translation you're reading out of. Do not be afraid, fear not, don't be afraid. And so in the first week of this series, as we looked at things through Mary's perspective, we talked about this fear of what God is asking us to do. Last week, as we looked at it through Joseph's eyes, we talked about the fear of what people think about me, which is something that we can all relate to. We all, whether we admit it or not, we all care at some level what other people think about us. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at it again from the shepherd's perspective. Now, I promise that I'll tie together this prayer and why I bring this all up. In fact, go back to that real quick. If I should die before I wake, again, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Those words reveal something that that I really do believe this, that we have all dealt with at some point in our lives. If God is real, if the God that we talk about here on Sunday mornings is real, and I know that not necessarily all of you are there yet. In fact, some of you, that might actually be the reason that you are here. You're trying to figure out the answers to those very basic questions. Is God real? How do we know that this this, this Jesus guy was actually a guy that that walked around the earth? But let's just pretend for a minute that, that God is real. If God is real, then the million-dollar question and the tension that we're gonna be wrestling with this morning is, where do I stand with God? If there's actually a God out there, if, if I actually have a creator that's kind of watching over me and stuff, how do I know where I stand with him? And this is the fear that we're gonna be talking about today, this fear of where you, where I, where we stand with God. I've shared about this before. Uh, my first job out of college was working at a camp, and I, I used to go to Christian camps all growing up and retreats and all this stuff, and I've, I've joked around about, how every week at the end of every week at camp, at the end of every retreat, I've never seen a Christian camp do it differently, there's usually an opportunity for the students, for the kids, to put their faith in Jesus. And they usually stand up or put a hand up or they come to the front of the room and they say kind of a quick prayer and, and suddenly, you know, Jesus is is a part of their lives. And I've joked around about how you would see certain kids that would come back year after year after year after year that would accept Jesus into their life for the first time every single year. It'd be like 10 times in a row. They're like, they're still putting their hand up and you're like wondering if it's not taking. And whenever you would do that, you would give that invitation. You'd see like 25, 35% of the room that their hands would go up. They'd stand up. They'd come to the front of the room again, however they exercise that. But every once in a while you'd go to these camps and retreats and the speaker would drop the recommit bomb. Now what the recommit thing was, it was for all the Christians that it didn't take last year okay, and the recommit bomb meant that, okay, if you want to recommit your life to Jesus, because like last year, you said the prayer, and about a week after returning home, you just went back to doing whatever you were doing, and you're like, yeah, I don't feel very good about that, and I can't really raise my hand, because you're saying for the first time, but yeah, I'll recommit my life to Jesus, and when they said that and gave that opportunity, I mean, boom, like clockwork, you would see every single hand go up in the room. I mean, even the kids that like weren't really all about it, they're looking at all their friends, they're like, okay, okay, yeah, I better put my hand up too, and I know I'm kind of poking fun at this, but honestly, I totally get it. Because I went to these camps and I went to these retreats. And from the time I was probably like in third grade through high school, I must have recommitted my life to Jesus on like 12 different occasions. Because I would be sitting there thinking to myself, okay, if God's real, I mean the God that that guy seems to be so passionately talking about, if God is real, then that means that heaven's probably real. And and if heaven's real, then crud. That might mean that hell is real. And if hell is a real place, I want to do everything that I possibly can to avoid it. I want to do everything that I possibly can to get in the good graces of God. So heck yeah, you want to tell me I could shoot my hand up in the air and that might somehow improve my standing with him? Yeah, I'm going to put my hand up. I'll accept Jesus into my life for the first time for the 10th time. Now, <laughs> you're catching on to that now. Uh, now, you might not have necessarily grown up going to these camps and retreats. and In fact, you might be hearing me talk about this right now, and you're like, I'm kind of glad I didn't go to those camps and retreats. But maybe, maybe you, you sit and you, you go to bed at night, and, and next to you there's a Bible that, for the most part, it just kind of collects dust. It might even serve as like kind of your, you know, your coaster for your glass of water at night, your coffee in the morning. And every once in a while, the guilt starts to build up. And so, and so you'll, you'll open that thing up and you'll read a couple verses or, or you'll even read an entire chapter out of that thing. And if somebody was to ask you 10 minutes later, you know, what, what was it that you read about? I mean, there's not a chance that you could have told them, but you just kind of read it because you're afraid that if you don't read it at least every once in a while, maybe, I don't know, maybe God's going to get mad at you. Or, or, or maybe you say these really quick, insincere prayers every single time before you eat. Right? I mean, they become completely disingenuous by this point. You're not even really thinking about what you're saying anymore, but you just keep saying them even though they don't really have a lot of meaning for you because you're afraid, like, I don't know, if you stop saying those prayers, maybe God's going to give you food poisoning. Or, or, or maybe you begrudgingly just kind of show up here every week. If you're honest, you don't even want to be here. But you're just walking through our doors because it's just become such a part of your life, and you're like, if I stop walking through the doors... I'm afraid what God might start to do to me. Or or again, those buckets, they pass every week, and for the most part, you just let those things breeze on by, but every once in a while, you're like, crud, God knows that I have a 20 in my pocket right now. And you drop that thing in there, and you don't really want to give the money. You're just afraid that, again, like if you don't give at least every once in a while, that, I don't know, you're gonna lose your job, and before you know it, you'll be homeless. I mean, we do a lot of pretty ridiculous things when we think about it, and we don't even want to do them. And oftentimes, come on, I I think whether we'd admit it or not, it's because we're afraid. We never put this terminology behind it because we're afraid of where we stand with God. And so we do some pretty ridiculous things in an effort to somehow improve our standing with him. And just like last week, we're going to see that this is so far from a new issue for human beings. In fact, these shepherds were walking around the earth a couple thousand years ago, and, and they were dealing with this very issue. And we're gonna look at this Christmas story today through the eyes of these shepherds. We're gonna jump to the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is one of the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that documents Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. As we mentioned in the very first week, Luke is a great book. If you're skeptical, if you think that the, that the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales, it would be a great place for you to start because Luke was actually a doctor. And what he did is he went around and he interviewed and talked to eyewitnesses that had spent time with Jesus. And he gives more detail than all the other gospel books. So it'd be a great one for you to grab onto. But here we're going to the book of Luke and let's specifically focus on the shepherds as we talk here. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. Now the night that they're referring to is the night that Jesus was born, the son of God, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified because that's what happened when an angel appeared in front of you. But the angel reassured them, Fear not, or do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, even these shepherds who are not religious people, they would have known about this prophecy. I talked about this last week. It's like the prophecy to end all prophecies, that eventually God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior, to not only redeem the people living in that area, but to redeem the entire world. So they're going, dang, this might actually happen. And you... You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now, back at this point in history, whenever something significant would happen in your life, such as, you know, having a baby, that's a significant event in in people's lives. If you've had a kid before, you know, that's like a really, really significant event in your life. What you would do is you would actually hire a herald that would go around and announce this in your community. I mean, literally, he'd just run around and be like, Joseph and Mary had a baby, and his name's Jesus, and he was 20 inches long, and he weighed seven pounds, six pounds. I don't know if he rattled off the statistics, but like he'd go around and literally just yell and tell everybody that this person had had a child. By the way, quick side note here, I really fizz, feel like I missed my calling in life by about 2,000 years. I have this uncanny ability to just yell really loud. I feel like I would have dominated the herald industry, but, but this is how Believe it or not, this is how people would announce the birth of their children back in time before we had things like Facebook and Instagram that could just make that public to everyone. And so this is what the angel was due, was sent to do, announce the birth of Jesus to the world. Now, this is where this kind of gets strange because the angel chose to announce this to shepherds. I almost wonder, like this angel got back to heaven and God's like, hey, you told him? He's like, yep, told him. Who'd you tell? I told shepherds. He's like, Shepherds? are you lazy? Did you just kind of come across the first people that you saw and you told them? Like, it would have made way more sense to tell somebody that had some influence. Shepherds were not thought very highly of. Like, you should have went and told kings and queens and nobility and priests, leaders in the community, pretty much anybody but shepherds. It would be like my wife and I, if, if we have another biological child, it would be like us announcing the birth of our next child on MySpace. Nobody's going to hear about it on MySpace. (laughs) Shepherds were not thought very highly of. In fact, they were actually some of the most disrespected people on the entire planet at this point in history. Typically, it was a job that was reserved for slaves. It was a job that was reserved for the uneducated. Religious leaders even went so far as to teach that shepherds should be rejected, that they were not good enough for God. And this all stems from the fact that they couldn't even uphold the most basic of religious responsibilities, the most basic standards of the day. And so it was natural for a shepherd to fear where they stood with God. They felt distant from God. They felt unworthy. And again, this was only being reinforced by religious leaders that were literally explicitly telling them, you are not good enough for God. Now, now this seems like a really brutal thing that, that another human being would communicate that to another person. But remember, shepherds, by trade, they were nomads. They were wanderers. They never stayed in one place for very long. And because they were always wandering around, they couldn't go back to the temple and perform their religious duties and we were therefore deemed ceremonially unclean. And we have to keep in mind that back at this point in history, if you were called ceremonially unclean, if you wore that label, you were basically walking around telling everyone, hey, I am not good enough for God. I'm not right with God. On top of this, they're only comrades, the only people that they're hanging out with aren't actually people at all, they're sheep. Now, for you animal lovers out there, you're like, well, that wouldn't be so bad. I kinda like sheep and they're cute and cuddly because this is what we think of when we see sheep. Look it, like clockwork. I knew you would do that. Oh, like shop. Okay, this is not reality. This is like greeting card material. Have any of you actually ever been to a sheep farm before? before? Are there a couple of us? Okay, yeah, so a couple of you have. Uh, here is what actually sheep look like. Okay, they're nasty. They're gross. They wallow around in filth. They're not that much different from pigs. They're really gross. And so imagine the appearance of a shepherd who only spent time with sheep. Just imagine how they smelled. So not only are they physically dirty, but they're spiritually dirty as well. They felt so unworthy. You know, maybe you you show up here on Sunday mornings. I've done this before, right? We show up here, put a smile on our faces. Sometimes you almost kind of give yourself a little pep talk in the car. You're like, okay, let's get rid of everything that I've been experiencing this weekend. Hey, how are you? Good to see you, right? We we put on our nicest clothes, but we know, right? I mean, hey, you know the stupid things that you did just last night. You know the terrible decision that you have continued to make over and over and over again. We know those dark secrets that maybe two, three, or maybe nobody knows about. We know the things that we ought to do, but yet we keep on not doing them. And with all that in mind, we think, how could God possibly love me? How can I possibly have a right standing with God? I've had so many conversations with people over the years, and you know, this conversation always goes the same way. And We, we talk about how there's a God out there that loves them so much, that God loves you so much that He sent His one and His only son to die for you, that, that whatever you've done can be forgiven, and it's why He sent His son for you so that he can have a relationship with you. And, and, and almost like clockwork. I've heard it so many times. they look back at you and they say, "Yeah, but you don't know me. You have no idea what my past looks like. You, you have no idea the mistakes that I have made. We feel so unworthy sometimes. They also felt inadequate. Because they were uneducated, because they were so underprivileged, they never felt like they measured up to the standard that society had set. You know, inadequacy has been something that that I think has plagued humanity pretty much from day one, and in large part because of comparison. Comparing always leads to inadequacy. Comparing always equals inadequacy. Yeah, I, I have a nice house. It's a pretty nice place, but it's not quite as nice. It's not quite as big and doesn't have quite as much good stuff inside of it as, as their house. I drive a pretty decent vehicle, but, but it's not as nice and, you know, it doesn't have as many features as that vehicle. I, I have cute and healthy kids, but apparently not cute and as healthy as, as the model children that I see on Facebook that get photographed in the middle of these fall warm days and that's normal behavior, right? Like I have a good job, but it's not the career that my neighbor has. You know, full disclosure, I I, I struggle with this stuff too. I, like I told you, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to a lot of other sermons and there's some times where I feel like a sermon is just like so good that I'm like, why in the heck do I even bother getting up there? We should just start playing recordings of these people. There's been so many times where the church that my wife and I came from, uh Mile city, the lead pastor there is a guy by the name of Travis, and uh, Travis is just a tremendous leader. He just loves people so well. He's uber talented. He's a great communicator, an incredible, incredibly talented musician. He just does so well relating to like every person that he comes in contact with, and th- th- there have been these kind of dark moments where I start to think of the kind of leader that he is and the kind of leader that I'm not, and it doesn't take very long when I start comparing that, that I just feel absolutely defeated like there's no chance that God has actually called me to do this. Comparing only leads to inadequacy. The shepherds felt, felt spiritually inadequate, and it's largely because they couldn't even keep the Sabbath. Now, this is one of the most basic of requirements back in this day, that there was a day that you would take the entire day to completely rest. But they couldn't go to temple. They couldn't rest for an entire day. Because if you're resting for the entire day, who's watching the sheep? They felt like spiritual failures, again, in large part because they were comparing. I mean, you might read your Bible, but but apparently not as much as that person that you know that seems to have a piece of scripture on the tip of their tongue for literally every situation in life. You you might spend some time in prayer, but apparently your prayers quite aren't quite as spiritual as that person in your small group. Like most of your prayers, if you're honest, they focus around like God help me to not strangle my children today. They felt unworthy, they felt inadequate and they felt unloved. Now, now this is kind of a sad fact, and I remember you know, reading about this, and I was kind of bummed out about it, and hopefully it doesn't tarnish your view of shepherds for the rest of your life, but back at this point in history, most shepherds were thieves. They were an incredibly distrusted, mistrusted group of people. In fact, they were so mistrusted, listen to this, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. If you wore that label of shepherd, they wouldn't allow you to testify in court. Fathers would never, Give their daughters to be married to a shepherd. They had no hope of a better future. They felt so unloved. I want to show you a picture here. Uh, this is a buddy of mine named Arthur. In fact, you might uh, actually recognize him. Arthur's been up here and helped with our music team on a couple different occasions. And uh, that's actually Valentine's Day. Rather than taking my wife out, I took out Arthur. And we got, that's a true story. We got some strange looks that night. Uh, anyway, uh, Arthur, he. Uh, Man, I just love this guy. uh, I've got to know him over the last four or five years through a ministry called 323 for the King, which uh, we've shared about before. We recently bought them a 15-passenger van, this incredible ministry happening down in Highland Park. And uh, so, yeah, I've known Arthur now for almost five years, and the more I get to know Arthur, the more I respect him. Um, He has had such a hard young life. Um, About a year ago, he figured out that the guy that he thought was his dad is in all likelihood not his dad. his mother has never really wanted anything to do with him. Both of the guys, you know, that he thinks might be his dad, he, they want nothing to do with him. And so he's bounced around from house to house to house uh, throughout his entire young life. And uh, now he's living with his brother and his brother has just flat out actually told him on several occasions that, hey, the only reason I allow you to live with me is because you don't have any other place to go. I don't actually want you here. You're a burden on this house. I mean, he's just he's just wrestled with so much self-worth and, and, and where does he fit in in this world? And Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about this. I'm like, has this been hard for you? Because he just seems so solid. He just seems like like a rock. And with tears in his eyes, he he shared with me that he's like, all the time, it's so hard. He's like, I've wrestled with suicidal thoughts for my entire life. And to hear another person communicate that, it it was so hard, especially a guy that I just love so much. Maybe you grew up without a dad, or or maybe a spouse left you, or maybe you had a parent that never actually uttered the three words, I love you. And, and because people have seemed to so easily reject you, and because some of us, if we're honest, we don't really like ourselves, how could God possibly accept me? How could God possibly love me? The shepherds, they, they felt unworthy, they felt inadequate, and they felt unloved, and Many of us at different points in our lives have felt the same way. In fact, I guarantee in a room this size, there, there's people that are sitting here today that feel this way. Religion was not working for the shepherds. In fact, it actually made them feel more distant from God. And, and for, for some of you today, I, I hope that maybe this will be an aha moment, but just as religion did not work for the shepherds, religion actually doesn't work for you. R- religion doesn't work for any of us. Now, that might seem like a strange thing to say in a church, but it's true. Religion does not work for anyone. God did not send his one and his only son into the world to bring about religion. But instead, actually, ironically enough, to actually set us free from religion, to actually give us something that is far, far better. See, the problem with religion is that it reduces Christianity down to a bunch of rules. Don't do this, and you can do this. Religion causes people in a lot of cases to look at what they're doing, or actually in more cases to look at what they're not doing. I don't drink. I don't get drunk. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't look at porn. I don't do this. I don't do this. I don't do this. And because I don't do these things, I am somehow better than you. I must be right with God because I'm not as bad as fill in the blank, that coworker, that friend, that family member. And Jesus looked at this kind of behavior and it made him want to puke. Don't take my word for it, read it for yourself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will never see Jesus getting more fired up than when he saw hypocritical religious behavior. It disgusted him. It made him want to lose his mind. People back then, like so many of us now, are so concerned with what is going on out here and we pay very little attention to what is going on in here. Religion doesn't work. Christianity was never meant to be about religion. It has always been about relationship. Now, people have come along and screwed that up. But but the movement that Jesus brought about, and we should probably take his word for it because after all, it's named after him. That movement has always been about relationship. And this is why God sent a person, a human being, in the flesh, his own son, why am I telling you all of this? Remember that the basis for our conversation today is this, this fear of where we stand with God. And that fear has largely been created by religion. And it makes sense because if you are so focused on the rules, so focused on doing this and not doing that, it's only a matter of time until you slip up and then what? We're left sitting in a panic about what God thinks of us because after all, we broke the rules and it's why it's such a good thing that Jesus did not come around to bring religion but relationship. There's a book in the Bible called Romans. It's actually a letter uh, that a guy by the name of Paul wrote to the early Christian church living in Rome. All these early Christians that were sprouting up all over the place and and hence why he called it Romans. They weren't much for creativity and naming back then but he gives us three uh, verses here that that have such profound implications for our lives and honestly should be so encouraging to us. He says this. He says for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Now the law is something if you start, you know, opening this book up and start reading this for yourself, you're going to see the law referenced uh, all over the place. The law was actually this list of rules, just kind of what it sounds like. It was 613 rules, 613 do's and don'ts that were handed down by God to Moses at Mount Sinai. Now At a certain point, obviously, Jesus comes along and and he abolishes the law. He's like, yeah, he actually takes all those laws and he reduces it down to two things, love God and love people. But at one point, all these people, this original audience would have been familiar with this. So again, as you're reading, you're like, what the crud are they talking about when they say the law? It's like 613 rules that you had to follow. It was the standard that nobody could keep. And he says, hey, no one's ever going to be made right with God by doing what the rules command. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It points out that we're not really all that great because nobody's abiding by these rules. It's impossible. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. I mean, that's good. Without keeping the requirement of the law, to which everybody that would have been originally listening to this would have breathed this sigh of relief. Thank God, because that was an impossible burden to take on, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. And he says this, and and. It's so simple. He says, We are made right with God not by following those 613 rules. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now, there's so much in in, in those couple of verses, and there's a lot we could pull out there, but there's kind of three thoughts that I'd like us to focus on here for the sake of our conversation this morning. The first one's this You cannot earn God's acceptance by following the rules. You you cannot earn God's acceptance by doing certain things and not doing other things. You cannot earn God's acceptance by your behavior. And this, again, should come as an enormous relief to us because nobody follows the rules perfectly. Nobody does good all the time. Number two, the purpose of the law, those 613 rules, is to show you your need for a savior. It was an impossible standard to keep. There was no person raising their hand saying, I have nailed it. In fact, Paul, the guy that wrote this, he was the best Pharisee out there. He was one of the most devout Pharisees in the history of the world. And he knew, I'm really good at this, but I still can't keep this standard. It's impossible. I've been saying this a lot lately. Until you see yourself as a sinner, you're not going to see a need for a savior. You're not going to see a need for help. And once you get to that point and you realize that you are broken, that you need something, you don't need religion. You need Jesus. You need a relationship. And then number three, trust in Jesus alone results in a right standing with God. Trust in Jesus alone results in a right standing with God. As it says there, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And and this is so simple but yet it's so huge and so simple that almost everyone misses it. We've all wrestled with that fear of where we stand with God and it's almost unfathomable that God could have made the standard so incredibly simple, that he could have made the solution so simple, that if we simply trust God, that that single expression of faith in that moment we are credited with a right standing with our creator and it's almost impossible to comprehend that the most high God w- w- would make the standard so simple, so straightforward, that he would look down into this mess of a world that we have created for ourselves. And again, we, we all know we do wrong. I mean, some of us, again, we, we're really stubborn and we hate admitting that, but we do things all the time where immediately after doing that thing, we go, why did I do that? We, we plan our mistakes a lot. I mean, we know we're about to do something that we shouldn't do, but yet we go ahead and do it anyway. And God looked down into this broken, messy world that we had created for ourselves, and rather than walking away, rather than saying forget it, he chose to get uh, involved. And he looked down and he said he would tell us the way, the solution, the way that we enter a relationship with him, where he calls us righteous and where he calls us approved, is not based on what we do. It's not based on who you're related to. It's so much simpler than that. It's trust. Will you trust God? And almost everybody misses it. And honestly, I totally get it because (laughs) everything that we've ever been taught and everything that we've ever learned here on earth, nowhere else in our lives can we be unconditionally loved and accepted simply based on trust, simply based on faith. This is it. But Jesus is going, I, I'm telling you, it's that simple. Will you trust God? Will, will you enter into a relationship with Jesus? Not religion, relationship. Because religion does not work. It didn't work for the shepherds. They felt unloved. They felt unworthy. They felt inadequate. And it certainly will not work for you. But when we put our trust in him, When we have a true faith in Jesus Christ, we are made right with God and we no longer have to worry about where we stand with him. And and the incredible thing, as it says there in Romans, is this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Everyone, meaning every person that sits here today, meaning it doesn't matter what you've done in your past, Meaning it doesn't matter the terrible decisions that you've made up to this point. Meaning it doesn't matter how many times you've rejected God. Meaning it doesn't matter how many times you sat in a room just like this, listened to a very similar message and walked out and not changed a thing in your life. He still says it's true for everyone who believes. Your your creator loves you so much that he looked down into the world again and rather than walking away, he said, I'm going to figure this out. And he sent his one and his only son for you, specifically you. Not like you in broad terms, but you. Because he so desperately wants a relationship with you.